This podcast is brought to you by Excess Energy Drinks and Excess Sports Nutrition, exclusively from Amway. Excess offers a collection of active and adventure products to help you energize, hydrate, strengthen, and recover. Follow us on Instagram at Excess Nation. This podcast is brought to you by Excess Energy Drinks and Excess Sports Nutrition, exclusively from Amway. Excess offers a collection of active and adventure products to help you energize, hydrate, strengthen, and recover. Follow us on Instagram at Excess Nation. It's inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports, the college football podcast that gives fans the inside scoop on who's moving up, who's moving down, and what's happening with all the big news of the week. Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg will take you through this week's poll, interview coaches, and break down the sport like nobody else, starting now. Welcome to the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast from USA Today Sports. It's the very first one of the season, the first one in existence, actually. And I'm Dan Wolken from USA Today Sports, joined by Paul Meyerberg. And glad to be podcasting again. Glad to be talking college football again. To whatever extent college football actually happens this year, we will get into all that over the next 45 minutes or so because there is a ton going on all across the country. The news changes every day, almost every hour. We also will have the pleasure of speaking with Urban Meyer, the former Ohio State coach, former Florida coach, three-time national champion, and a current Fox Sports analyst. Uh, that's a pretty big guest for our first podcast, huh, Paul? Yeah, that was a good get. I don't know how we pulled that off, um, but it's it's a it's all downhill probably. I don't, any other coaches out there with three national titles? Tom Osborne? Um, uh, there's very few. We got uh, yeah, a guy so, named uh, Saban at Alabama. I think you've probably oh, yeah. heard of him. Nate Saban, big fan of his. Um yeah, yeah, that's a good start. And look, um, we've got a lot going on, like you said. We've got a debut coaches poll. Uh, we've got Urban. And then we've got, you know, if people have been paying attention, there's some drama going on around the season itself. So we got plenty to break down. Absolutely. So we are the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast presented by USA Today Sports. And so we have the first coaches poll of the season. That's probably – what a lot of you want to hear about. So let's get right to it, Paul. Amway Coaches Poll, number one, the Clemson Tigers. Number two, the Ohio State Buckeyes. According to the coaches, those are the two teams that project to play for the national championship of the 2020 season. And they are only separated in the poll by a handful of points. Uh, Clemson's got 1,589 points. Ohio State, 1,555 points. Clemson had 38 first-place votes to Ohio State, 17. But just given where we were to end last season, obviously LSU uh, blowing out Clemson, frankly, in that national championship game, but, but Clemson and Ohio State playing a classic semifinal out in the Fiesta Bowl, uh, Clemson bringing back Trevor Lawrence, Ohio State bringing back Justin Fields, does it surprise you at all that these are the two teams that people expect to play for the national championship? No, it doesn't surprise me at all. I think this has been the conversation since January. Um, I think part of it has to do with that Fiesta Bowl. That was a classic. Um, I think it's a quarterback game. I think Trevor Lawrence and Fields, like you said, those are the two biggest names in the sport from an individual player perspective. Um, I think this has been kind of suggested. And the question is whether this is suggested because – 
everyone just decided in January this would be the case or if there's actual forethought and, and, and kind of analysis put into it. I'm not quite sure at this point, but it is, does seem the consensus is Clemson one, Ohio State two. And look, if you look at the top three, Alabama's not that far behind, but there's a significant drop-off um, from Alabama to number four, Georgia. So while Clemson, Ohio State are your one, two, and I, and I think that that makes a lot of sense, it seems like a concrete one and two, um, you do have Alabama there kind of sneaking in at number three. And then, as we'll see, um, a little bit of a drop-off. But here's what's interesting about it. Leaving last season, I think there were a lot of people who watched that national championship game against LSU and felt like, frankly, Ohio State might have been the better team. That Ohio State, in the Fiesta Bowl, blew a bunch of opportunities. They shot themselves in the foot with some questionable penalties. Uh, There was obviously a really controversial replay that went against them, that helped Clemson, when they were really just kind of hanging by a thread, in a sense, at points in that game. And then you watched how they kind of got manhandled by LSU. And a lot of people, rightly or wrongly, I think thought, okay, Ohio State would have been a better opponent maybe for LSU. They might have been more talented of a team overall. And also when you put into context the fact that Trevor Lawrence had like, I don't want to say a disappointing season. I think that's way unfair and overdramatic. But I think a lot of people, and I almost include myself in this camp, felt like Fields was probably the better quarterback overall last season. So when you factor all that in, I could make a legitimate case for Ohio State being number one. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And I think you nailed it with it, just in terms of pure talent. Um, there's a difference between Ohio State, um, LSU, uh, Clemson, Alabama, I mean, than everyone else. But even Ohio State within that group, they're, they're an eyeball-popping team. I mean, you look at them and you watch them on tape or you see them in person and you realize that there's something different about that team. So um, Ohio State at number one, clearly they had 17 first-place votes. So there are coaches who agree with you. And I think those coaches who agree with you and, and would have Ohio State number one look at what we mentioned. They look at a team that is – built physically, um, experience-wise, coaching-wise, to run the table, um, and a team that maybe, like a lot of others, thought that they could have won the national championship last year. Clearly, Clemson's performance against LSU suggests that Ohio State would have given them a better game. Um, but again, you know, Ohio State needs to win. The, we're relitigating January, but Ohio yeah. State needs to win that game. If they win that game, even if they lose to LSU, they're number one. What, what do you think Clemson's biggest question mark is coming into the season? To me, it's always kind of an offensive line question. I know that's like a terrible answer. It should be something broader than that. But I'm always curious about Clemson because of the way that they recruit everywhere except for the offensive line. And that they're a developmental program on the offensive line, but they're five stars at the skill positions. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is a god. Um, defensively, you don't really have any concerns because of Venables and their track record. So I always look at Clemson's offensive line and say, hey, what does it look like this year? What's the next step? Who's coming up the pipeline? Um, and just based off the track record with Caldwell and what they've done, it's not really a huge concern. Um, if anything, I mean, I have very few concerns about Clemson because they're playing only ACC games, and they don't lose in the ACC. So Clemson, if we have a playoff, you're almost like, all right, well, they're either one, two, three, or four at this point. All right, so then once you get past the top two, you enter the SEC portion of the poll. Alabama number three, I'm just <sighs> – it's a little bit weird to say that they're not number one or number two just because 
that's basically always where they are coming into a season. But it's the Mac Jones era at Alabama that I think maybe brings in a little bit more uh, of some uh, – we've seen Mac Jones, but there is an air of mystery just about how it's going to look because he's not Tua Tungavailoa. Uh, he's not even Jalen Hurts, really, in the sense that, that he's not a, a proven commodity on a week-in, week-out basis. Uh, we all know how good Alabama is. I think they will have more depth, assuming they stay healthy, than they did last year on defense. Uh, but uh, Alabama number three, Georgia four, LSU five. You know, frankly, you just don't see defending national champions drop down as low as five historically in the coaches' poll. But LSU is a special situation, just losing Joe Brady, uh, losing Joe Burrow, uh, losing just a bunch of really good players off that team last year. Uh, are, is that the order of the three SEC teams that you would have? Yeah, that's how I would have it. What's interesting with LSU at number five in the Amway coaches poll is that clearly when you look at the fact that they had six first place votes, they're number five. There are a lot of coaches who have them in the teens just based on the math of it. Um, at least if not in the teens and in the eight to 12 range. Um, so that's really interesting to me. And it feeds into the notion that LSU is a one-off, not a one-off in terms of being a contender or being a team that can win an SEC championship or win the SEC West, but a one-off as a 15 and 0 you know, juggernaut. Well, but that's totally fair, right? I mean, totally fair because they don't have the track record of a Clemson, Ohio state, Alabama, or even of a Georgia necessarily, which has been there three years in a row. Um, I, it's just weird. Like you said, typically when you're king of the hill, you get that benefit of the doubt, especially when you run the table the way they did. So um, to have, or to just to see them be um, undervalued by number of coaches, not just AP voters who probably have LSU in that five to seven range, but by coaches, um, Interesting to me, to, to say the least. Well, and, and look, it's totally fair because I think if you were to just ask any really well-informed college football person or even another coach in the SEC, how good do you think LSU is going to be? I think you'd get a wide variety of opinions, and I think probably 30% of those opinions would be, yeah, are they even going to be better than Auburn? You know, and it's not, look, it's not a knock on them. It's just they have a ton to replace. Yeah, they had a, like a generational confluence of positive factors come together last year. Um, so, and this is not to take away 50-0. and 0. We'll be talking about that 2019 LSU team for, for quite some time. But, yeah, when you have all those positives come together and then come apart on January you know, 10th, it is logical that they take a step back, you know, and, and I think in a sense, like what you're saying, if there are questions about whether LSU is not just the number one team in the country, but the number two team in the SEC West, having them at five is that benefit of the doubt. Hey, you did it last year. We're, we're worried about, you know, whether you can beat Auburn or even whether you're better than A&M, but at this point we'll give you that benefit of the doubt. Maybe that's what's being extended to LSU, but yeah, just in the general sense, usually number one is number one or number two the next year. So they're number five, um, and I, I just don't know how at this point you really see them as a team that could be ranked any higher than that, to be quite honest. Just to touch on Georgia really quick at number four, how much do you think that their ranking is a product of the fact that since the season ended, they have acquired you know two pretty 
interesting quarterbacks in Jamie Newman and then now JT Daniels, the USC transfer who will be eligible. Newman coming from Wake Forest. They went from having zero experienced quarterbacks on the roster to now having two guys who have started at Power 5 schools. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I, what do you think they'd be if Fromm was there? Do you think they'd still be number four? Probably, right? Um, yes, Fromm, although, Fromm had stayed. although it's the kind of benefit of the doubt that you give to the unknown because I think if, if Jake Fromm was the incumbent quarterback coming back for his senior year, there would be a lot of people who would just look at that Georgia team and say, yeah, their ceiling on offense just isn't that high. You know, you, you saw them last year. Uh, with from and you just didn't see the growth you didn't see the explosiveness and you frankly just didn't see a a creative plan to to get the most out of the their talent so I actually think people give them more credit for having a new quarterback who we don't really know how they're going to fit as opposed to from who we saw for a couple three years and just kind of were you know like yeah he's pretty good and they're a good team, but we don't think they're going to be explosive enough to, to really win at the highest level. Yeah. I will say one thing. If I'm a Georgia fan, I'd rather Kirby smart have one quarterback than two. You know, I just, I think that makes it a lot easier for him. All right, let's uh, move on to number six, Oklahoma, number seven, Penn state, uh, who I think will be ranked high regardless, but these votes were taken before, we knew about Micah Parsons reportedly uh, leaving or opting out of the season to prepare for the NFL draft. Uh, he, the way he, sh- he flashed in the Cotton Bowl against Memphis, uh, you could have put him in the Heisman conversation, or at least on the fringes of the Heisman conversation coming into the season as a defensive player. Uh, how, how big of a loss is that if indeed he is leaving? Oh, it's huge. Huge. Like typically, you'd say, "Oh, we, if you lose a linebacker, it's not that big a deal." I mean, I wouldn't have Penn State number seven if I knew, if I had known that Parson was not going to be there. I mean, that's how important he is. And like you said, in the Cotton Bowl um, during Big Ten play, I mean, almost throughout the midway point of his freshman year until now, um, he's been absolutely dynamic and clearly one of the guys who fits into the lineage of, of linebackers at Penn State. So it's a huge, huge loss. Um, I would have had him in my preseason Heisman top 10 because he's a, he's a difference-making talent. So Penn State has no one on the roster. I mean, obviously, and unless they could draft someone from the NFL, they've got no one who can even replicate or, or come close to approximating Parsons' impact. Okay, number eight, Florida, nine, Oregon, 10, Notre Dame, 11, Auburn, 12, Wisconsin. Any issues or quibbles with any of those rankings? But what do you think about Notre Dame at 10? And again, a lot of these votes – or maybe not a lot, but at least maybe some of these votes came in before the ACC announcement. The fact that Notre Dame is only playing ACC, you're not going to have to play Navy on the road. You're not getting Stanford, USC. Does that impact where you'd have them? Would you think that they might be higher because of the fact that they're playing 10 ACC games and then one non-conference? I think with Notre Dame, just in terms of judging the quality of their team, number 10 feels about right. Uh, They could certainly be a few spots higher than that. They could certainly be a few spots lower than that. But I think that playing an ACC schedule um, will kind of help them. You know, obviously they're going to have some some big games and they're going to have a couple tough games. But, yeah, look, Notre Dame never takes the easy road. 
in terms of their independent schedule. Uh, yeah, they have a few teams on their year after year who should be wins, even if they're Power Five schools. But yeah, no, I think Notre Dame is is set up to to have a good year, but. You know, they're they're going to have some some hurdles, and obviously, jumping over Clemson to to win the ACC and get to the playoff is a pretty big hurdle. Yeah, they finished last year number eleven. They're number ten this year, so that feels right. Um, like I've had NC State described to me as team number sixty five because they're just like the most average team in the in the one hundred and thirty team FBS. Notre Dame feels like team number ten to twelve every year in the poll, which is fine. That's good. So pretty interesting, the two teams that are highest ranked in this preseason poll who were not ranked to finish the 2019 season are number 13, Texas A&M, number 14, Texas. I guess that's appropriate since they won't play each other. They are right next to each other in the poll. Which one of those teams are you buying more as a legitimate threat to jump into the top 10, top 5, and, and maybe win their conference? Oh god! I mean, A and M, wishy washy. A and M. I mean, A and M, but it's also like you know, I'm picking against Texas. I'm, I'm obviously going to pick A and M at this point. I, I just don't. I think A and M's thirteen number thirteen ranking was built a lot on the fact that their schedule was extremely, exceedingly friendly. I think probably most people are familiar with it. Have extremely easy four non conference games. I think Colorado was their toughest, and then they played Auburn in about part of the season, but didn't end with Alabama and LSU till the end of the season, the final two games. So people were kind of penciling them in for, oh, at least they're going to be 9-1 and one heading into the finales. Um, so I don't know if that's really the case anymore with A&M when you're going to play, you know, not just no non-conference, but additional SEC games with crossover. Um, but still, A&M as a program under Jimbo Fisher, I don't know, we've covered Fisher for a while. And, and for better or worse, we know what he does with the program and what he's capable of doing. So I think um, just based off that track record, I, I have a significant amount more faith in his ability to, to have them leap into that 7 to 10 range than I do with uh, Texas at this point. Number 15 is Michigan. Number 16 is Oklahoma State. And that's really interesting just given the tumultuous offseason they, they had uh, off the field, Mike Gundy and the players with what I would consider a – short boycott over social justice issues and a disagreement with Gundy about some of the things he had said publicly. Obviously, their ranking is very dependent on the fact that Chuba Hubbard decided to come back and not go to the NFL. Hubbard also was the one leading that uh, player uprising and just how the chemistry was affected whether for better or worse by, by what happened, I think will have a huge effect on whether or not they can live up to a pretty lofty preseason expectation. Yeah, that's a good question. And I, and I think you look at Oklahoma State, we might touch on Iowa um, later down in the poll. They're number 23. Um, it, we like stand so far removed from it that we kind of almost assume because you assume the human factor in it that, hey, you've got to you got to get these guys to play for you again, or you've got to handle any sort of drama in the locker room. And, oh, man, is it going to linger? And a lot of times it doesn't. But nonetheless, I, I do think it's a valid point to ask after um, a tumultuous offseason for everybody, but in particular in Stillwater, um, how that team is going to step forward in August under Gundy and you know kind of rebound after, by his the standards of his tenure, a kind of disappointing last few seasons. 
All right, so number 17, USC, number 18, Minnesota, although they really did take a hit to their offense when receiver Rashad Bateman decided to opt out and get ready for the NFL draft. Uh, I still think they're going to be a really quality team. Number 19, North Carolina, a lot of buzz about what's happened with that program, not just the fact that they exceeded expectations in Mac Brown's first year, but a lot of energy around the recruiting, around – just how they've really been able to get a lot of development out of the players that were uh, left behind. Sam Howell, the quarterback's a guy who uh, played really well as a freshman, and I know Mac Brown thinks is going to be a big star for them as his career progresses. So a lot to like about North Carolina, number 20, Utah. And then number 21, Central Florida, number 22, Cincinnati, out of the American Athletic Conference. The only two teams in the poll from outside the Power Five Uh, And those would be two of the likely contenders. I also think Memphis out of the AAC will be very good. But just kind of given the way that that the poll goes throughout the course of the season, I bet there will be uh, probably a few teams that that crack it from those group of five leagues. Yeah, I don't understand, um, and not just coaches, but just voters in general when they do preseason polls. One thing that makes a lot of sense to do if you're a voter is like, look back at, at the recent past, like look back at the five or six years previous and look at the final polls in those years. Um, there's never just two group of five teams in there. And there's never just two group of five teams at 21 and 22. There's like three or four or five, uh, at least one or two of them is in that 12 to 15 range. Um, it, that's just history. And that's like proven now. We, we, there's not going to be a situation where there are just two of them and they're the back in the top 25. I do understand why it's like easier to justify not having a group of five team in your preseason poll than it is to stomach having, you know, not Baylor out or another team like that. But yeah, that's, that's not how it's going to shake out. Both UCF and Cincinnati um, in a traditional 12 game season with their schedules, we're going to be 11, maybe even 12 wins. So they're both really good football teams. And then you finish the top 25 with Iowa. As we mentioned, it was really quite an off season given the fact that a lot of former players uh, spoke up in uh, try, trying to bring light to a culture around the program that uh, they were uncomfortable with as black players. And uh, certainly Iowa is trying to take some steps to address that. Uh, number 24, Virginia Tech. Number 25, Iowa State. And then you get just outside the top 25, Boise State, Tennessee, Arizona State, Kentucky, and Memphis would be the first five out. Uh, of those five who just missed, Paul, do you think there were any major omissions? I mean, I think Tennessee fans would probably argue strenuously that they deserve to be in the poll because there has been a lot of uh, positive momentum around their program. Yeah, so the hard part is like deciding which team to pull out. But if we didn't have to decide that, um, Boise State's been a top 25 program for 20 years. Like, Dirk Cutter to Hawkins to Peterson to Harson, they're top 25, I think like 14 of the last 15, whatever the number is. So just put them in your top 25 because you're supposed to be able to prognosticate what the season's going to look like at the end. And, and this is the goal of the, of the whole process. Boise State should be in there because they're always in there. So that's the easy one for me. If we dig a little deeper, I mean, there are teams in there like, you know, for example, Washington, if they're going to retool on offense, they're not, they're just the, they're the seventh team out. Um, behind Baylor. Um, if they retool their offense, that's a team that clearly is going to be good enough to be in the top 25. 
Um, Louisville is a team on the rise under yeah. Satterfield. So you can make a lot of um, – you can definitely get in there. Like, for example, I've got Cal in my top 25 because they've returned a, just a ton of starters. Boy, they and were so injury-prone last year. Right, and when they have their quarterback healthy, Garbers, all they do is win. He's unbeaten as a starter. Um, a game that he starts and finishes, rather. So um, that these, those are all teams that you could have had in there. What I missed, Dan, are the days when Duke would be number would have one vote at number twenty five, right? Because Spurrier would do it. Um, I, I think people take it a little bit more seriously than that now. But um, there is no like random, uh, you, you, just ridiculous. Like Marshall didn't get a vote from some crazy coach as a laugh. Well, you did have some. Tulane got five votes. Uh, they were a seven and six team last year. Uh, should be pretty good within the American Athletic Conference, but. Uh, that's that's nice for them to get some recognition. Louisiana Lafayette got three votes, uh, not a team that you're you're necessarily used to seeing uh, in the poll. Uh, Stanford got a couple votes, which is interesting, just given that they're kind of on a run of of mediocre years. So uh, it's going to be interesting, and we will be here every week that there is a Amway coaches poll to talk about it and break it down, and you'll have it here first. So uh, now we'll uh, check in with Urban Meyer, see what's on his mind, and we'll be back after this. Inside the Amway coaches poll from USA Today Sports. During the season, coaches need a lot of coffee, but don't need all the sugar and calories found in most craft coffee drinks. Excess Energy Cafe Mocha delivers 80 milligrams of natural caffeine from Arabica and Robusta coffee beans and B vitamins, including 500% of the daily value of B12. Made with real coffee, real cocoa, and real milk, this velvety-rich coffee experience contains 7 grams of protein and only 2 grams of added sugar. Excess Energy Cafe Mocha is not your regular cup of joe. Follow us on Instagram at XS Nation to experience more and stay tuned after the podcast to learn about how coffee can jumpstart your workout and performance with fitness influencer and world traveler, Nicole Lewis. Now back to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll with Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg. And joining us for the first ever edition of the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast, is a three-time national championship winning coach, former coach at Florida and most recently Ohio State, now is broadcasting with Fox Sports. In his second year with Fox, it's Urban Meyer. Thanks so much for joining us. You bet. Great to be here. So, Urban, uh, you made the transition to broadcasting, and I thought you got incredible reviews in your first year. And just for your just for your information, the way you were able to break down the game, make it really relatable for people. I feel like I learned something watching you break down the game. Why do you think that, that you've taken to broadcasting so well, and, and how is it different than the first time around when you did it for a year in between uh, Florida and Ohio State? I was actually very worried about whether I would like it. You know, I uh, my personnel is such I, – I like to teach. I like to talk football. I sure love to have fun, but – uh, I love this game. I love what the game teaches, and I love the nuances of the game. And and then Fox really put me with a great group of teammates, and that's Reggie Bush, Matt Liner, Brady Quinn, and, and Rob Stone. And, boy, I just uh, I couldn't wait to be with those guys. I couldn't wait to talk football. And, and uh, they gave us a really good platform, and we were on the road, and the crowds were great. So I really enjoyed it and look forward to doing it again. You prep for the studio job different than you prepped for ESPN when you were, you know, covering a game or being on site, preventing or you know, introducing or giving a recap of that game. Yeah, it's much different skill. And you know, once again, I, you talk about someone I had no clue. Uh, 
back in, when I was with ESPN and I had uh, uh, Dave Pash and Chris Spielman and our producers are great. They treat us great. Uh, it's just different. You know, you really have to focus on 90% of your focus on that game, on the players' names, on where they're from, et cetera. Watch a lot of game tape. Uh, the studios, you know, 90% or really 100% on big picture. And so uh, I really – I enjoyed both, both great companies. However, uh, I just really enjoy the studio. I really love – you know, I have 35 years of experience, and I can take – you know, I, I take great pride in this. The feedback's been unbelievable. Where, the, you know, the one thing we did with that Chase Young or the spread offense or, you know, when someone says, I'll, I'll be – you know, I'll get random people call me or I'll see me see me and say, man, they, they start showing me the things I taught them on, on TV, and it's kind of cool. And uh, – I, I just love teaching. Do you like to watch football? I mean, I, and it's different. Like how I watch football and how Dan watches. Now you watch football probably a little bit different because I can, I'll eat chips while I watch a game. I'll step away for a minute and get something out of the fridge. But can you watch football? Are you able to sit back and watch? Or are you able, are you always evaluating football if there's a difference between those two things? Yeah, I was evaluating and I, I try to enjoy it. And I still have a dog in the race with uh, Ohio State. I still, you know, the one thing good about Fox, too, you're supposed to be impartial, and I am. I love Ohio State. Do I cheer for Ohio State? Yes. Uh, but they let it, – it'd be phony for me to not love Ohio State or, or even the Florida Gators. I just – I love who they are. They gave me a chance, and I pull for them. Uh, but, yeah, I watch a game, and I find myself cheering, or if I know the coaches very well, or I know some of the players maybe that I recruited. Uh, but I am constantly just – I'm intrigued, especially there, – there's some coaches out there that are just outstanding – and the way they play. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly just taking a little deeper look at it. Who's a coach now? Um, obviously, you would say Ryan Day because you're closest to him geographically and maybe culturally or personality-wise. But who's someone that you're watching X's and O's that you're fascinated by, either side of the ball? Though I, I imagine you might lean towards offense. Oh, sure. But uh, Kyle Winningham's one of my close friends, and I think he's outstanding. Dan Mullen and I are – are very close and and uh, now that he's the Gator coach and you know I've spoke to his team I, I'm so uh, I want to see those guys at the level that they should be at uh, you know I just I think Lincoln Riley is really intriguing on offense I like to study them as well uh, that's I think uh, PJ Flex you know their offense coordinator left uh, Minnesota and went to Penn State I'm really intrigued I'm really intrigued by that Urban, this is uh, obviously the strangest offseason anyone has ever experienced in college football. I know that you were probably the best in the game at motivating and, and really kind of understanding what was going to keep your guys engaged and really challenge them. What would you be doing right now if you were coaching to, to try to deal with just all the uncertainty that, that these guys are dealing with day to day about is there going to be a season, is it going to be on time, how many games, when's practice, all that stuff. I'm really proud of Ryan Day, and I speak to him quite often. And uh, some other colleagues have reached out and asked some questions. And you have one obligation as a coach, and that's get your team ready. And that includes health and safety. That you, it, No one really cares your opinion about the COVID. No one really – and in my opinion, they should be giving their opinion, you know, about uh, all the issues. You have a, you have a – very high performing job that has high expectations and they give your opinions on really that you should be giving your opinions on because you're not an expert you have a job that when the ad goes like this it's time to go play 
your team better be ready. And that's a full-time job. There, you don't have time for anything else. And I, I sometimes I get I see making statements and doing this and, and stepping outside, you know, like I don't comprehend that. Recruiting and getting your team ready is a full-time job. And those that do that usually are very successful. So you think if this these past few weeks you had had a player come up and say, I'm not comfortable playing this year because of health reasons for you, you would say, I support you. See you in the spring. That would be from your perspective, your role as the head coach of a or leader of a outfit. Yeah, it's a little bit like when a player says to me, "I'm going to come out for my junior year," or you know, I, "I'm not going to play this year." And I say, "Okay, just as long as you have all your, my job is not to influence you, uh, give my opinion. I just want to make sure you're properly educated on making this decision." And so, if he would ask me, "Can I meet with doctors? Can I really get the best expert uh, analysis?" That's the same thing I do when they want to leave for the NFL. I put them on the phone with the general manager, a couple of head coaches, so you're. Because you get so many nowadays, these young young guys are getting at just social media and the access to people who are driving, you know, you know, pushing narrative or pushing whatever it is. I just want to make sure you're very well educated, and then if you decide after you're well educated, uh, I'll support you and. Uh, Wish you all the very best. This is the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast. So we have to ask you, when you were coaching, when you were voting in the poll, how, how much time did you spend on it? How difficult was it for you to, to figure out who the top 25 was when you're focused on yourself, you're focused on your opponents, you don't see everyone around the country? Just kind of take us through what your process was for the poll. Yeah, I took it very seriously because, I I mean, it impacted us in 2000. What was it? In 2000 and. Uh, well, right. Well, before that, in 2006, we jumped. Um, got it. I can't really remember who we jumped, but we. Uh, oh, uh, Ohio State played the team up north in, in that great game in 06, and many called for a rematch. And we just won the uh, SEC championship in the polls. We jumped uh, the team, and we got to play for national titles. I have great respect for the polls, and I understand the responsibility. So I had a pretty good system. I kept track of everything in a folder and my director of operations would come in every Sunday. And if I wanted to say, give me a couple clips of their quarterback, give me a couple, uh, which I did. And then I had all the statistics next to it, injuries, uh, who they beat, why they beat. And we go through, we'd spend a good hour on it every week. Now he spent, I'm saying he spent four to five hours on it every week and he would present it to me. Uh, I'd make my decision. We'd mail it in. We'd do it again the following week. So you, uh, from a coach's perspective, coach's poll doesn't decide the title anymore, as you mentioned. It does impact. It doesn't even impact in the playoff era because we have a selection committee. Um, it's nonetheless, it's the voice of coaches, and it gives the perspective of coaches on, on how they feel that the landscape shapes out. Even without playing a role in the national title, did, it, did it, does it retain that importance to you as a coach or in that – profession to have that voice still available? Well, I disagree. I think it's very important in the uh, uh, process of crowning a national title and who goes in the um, playoffs. You know, the college football playoff committee, there are people on there that really, you know, I don't want to say don't understand the game of football, but there's some that don't understand the game of football. They never played it, never coached it. They're, you know, whether you're uh, an athletic director or a commissioner of a conference, all due respect, I would say they're going to go listen to maybe people that that's their life, you know? And so I would believe that they're going to say if 
this coach, I, w- I would expect that. You know, I'm not, I don't know this for sure, but I would say that uh, they would listen and say, why does that coach have this school ranked this high? And, you know, I would probably take a look. I, I would imagine they take a look at it. So as we start the year, it's going to be Clemson number one, Ohio State number two in the coaches poll, in the Amway coaches poll. Your thoughts, uh, just kind of given where we left off last season, knowing the quarterbacks of those two teams, does that uh, sound about right to you, Urban? Sure. I, th- I think uh, there's two things that are going to really separate uh, the elite from the non-elite this year, and you are, we are in it. Uncharted waters, adversity is here. And great leadership, great culture, and then obviously the two other things I put in there are a returning quarterback and a returning system. Those, they're going to be far out in front of the other teams. You know, I, I just think I, I see what's going on at Michigan State, and now they're, you know, they're backing off. You have a brand-new coach that maybe had him for two weeks, never no spring practice. They're putting in a brand-new system. And, by the way, get ready to go play here. You know, that, that's, that's tough. That's tough. I see LSU with a change in a quarterback and change in an offensive coach. You know, how much is that going to impact? Because quarterback, that, that's that one – that's that one spot, man, that, uh, you know, I always tell people when the NFL says, well, the NFL is a quarterback league. My comment is, well, so is college and so is high school. Matter of fact, so is Little League. You know, quarterback uh, – football is a quarterback sport. So the best quarterbacks usually uh, are there at the top. Um, August, I think probably your body still tells you in August that you smell the grass and you think it's time, right? Um, how do you handle that? How do you deal with it now even when your body is saying – and your brain is saying, um, two days tomorrow, right? Or workouts in the morning. What do you do to handle that urge maybe well, to get back? Yeah, I, last year was really hard. You know, this year was not quite as hard. And I imagine I've been told as time moves on that uh, I'm very happy with what's going on in my life and my family's life more importantly. And um, as long as I can feel like I'm assisting or making an impact in some way, I'm good. And uh, it is time. And uh, – I'm hoping this thing goes, you know, let, let's go play some football and keep these guys safe the best you can. And uh, I hope it, I hope it works. And what's your handicap now? Uh, you've been playing for four months. You've had plenty of time. Is it dropping? <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, well, I won't tell you, tell you but uh, uh, you want to come play, just bring, bring a couple bucks with you. We'll go play. Okay. <laughs> you said a couple buds, right? Not a couple no. bucks? Uh, same. Either one, right. Okay, I, I work in – that's my currency because I have fewer zeros. Appreciate you coming on, sharing your insight with us and talking to Paul. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thanks very much to Urban Meyer for joining us on the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast. Really good to get his insight on the sport and his broadcasting career. And you can see him every Saturday this fall on Fox Sports. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Okay, thanks to Urban Meyer once again for joining us on the first edition of the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast presented by USA Today Sports. Back with Paul Meyerberg. And, you know, look, Paul, uh, given where we are right now, it's the first week of August. So much has happened over the last few months, not to mention last few days. So much is happening right now. It's it's kind of hard to know where to begin. And obviously things are changing by the day. So often you can record a podcast and a lot of what you talk about will be irrelevant. So we'll try to timestamp it. This is being recorded on Wednesday afternoon. 
but I think it's fair to say that, you know, if there is a season, it is going to be the most unusual season ever. Uh, you got the SEC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12 are playing only conference games. The Big Ten is going to try to start the first week of September. The SEC is going to try to start September 26th. That's a pretty big difference when you just talk about which teams are going to be kicking off for their own week ones. I think that's going to create some real intriguing situations. You've got the Big 12. They're trying to play one non-conference game. The ACC, as we talked about earlier, has included Notre Dame in the conference championship race. Everyone else is just kind of scrambling for what they can get. Uh, the AAC, Conference USA, the Sun Belt, they're just trying to play, cobble together as many games as they can. And it's taking place against the backdrop of a pandemic that we just don't know how the coronavirus is going to react in a sport where people are always in close contact. Uh, You've got college campuses that are going to have regular students coming back. You can't really put a bubble over anybody or anything, even though I'm sure guys will try to be as cautious as they can with who they're exposed to, but it's just a huge level of uncertainty. You've got some of the FCS leagues that have decided to delay until the spring. If they can play then, you know, maybe the NCAA is going to have fall championships for other sports in Division One. maybe not. Uh, the FBS, they don't really want to be backed into a corner from an optics standpoint to make it look like they only care about playing football because of the money while all the other sports are not playing. So, I mean, it's just a lot. What, what do you make of all this? Yeah, I think the, the part that is most uncertain from my perspective is that we haven't even gotten to the hard part yet. We haven't even started practice, let alone travel for games or playing a game against a team that, you know, coming from a different part of the country, playing Rutgers if you're a Big Ten team or Rutgers going to another Big Ten team on the road. Um, there's just so much uncertainty about what the next couple of weeks are going to bring. I think it's a positive sign that they're creating schedules. I think that's a good thing in terms of, you know, showing that there has been care taken to at least present the most workable scenario for having even an altered season. But yeah, I mean, it's August 5th at noon on the East coast. And I think by August 7th at 4 PM, this whole thing could fall apart because every day seems to bring new hurdles that the FBS needs to overcome. So are they willing to just take it as it comes? Everyone kind of create their own schedule, play the season they best that you can, and then circle back in December and talk about a college football playoff and a bowl system? Yeah, I think that's the plan. I don't know, and I'm not being pessimistic. I I just don't know, and no one knows um, what things are going to look like in two weeks or two days or two months. So the plans in place is as premature at all to say that it's a plan that can work. Well, the first big hurdle is going to be just getting back to actual practice because what they've been doing up to this point is is fairly manageable. Individual workouts in the weight room, you can space people out and socially distance and not come into close contact with each other. And there have been a lot of programs that have been successful in not having a lot of uh, coronavirus positives. Uh there are some that have really struggled. I mean, look, the situation at Rutgers right now is, is not good. Uh, a bunch of players, some staff members, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to contain. But what happens when you are on the field, you're tackling each other in big piles of people, you've got lines of scrimmage trying to practice against each other where you, you are just inevitably in close contact. 
Um, you can try to maybe do some things in the locker room as far as maybe people shower at home. Uh, they're spending as little time as possible in there. You're only maybe bringing in, you know, a quarter of the team at one time to change clothes. I mean, there's all kinds of things that people are trying to do, but that's a big challenge. And then you introduce regular students, and that's why the SEC, and I think probably smartly, in my view, decided to maybe go later. I mean, there's one school of thought that says, all right, you're, you've got the situation under control now. Let's just go. Just start and go. But I also think there's a very valid point of view from the SEC, which is, all right, let's just see. Let's wait for the NFL. Let's see how things are playing out with baseball. Let's see how our numbers are when the regular students are introduced back to campus before we commit to a date to get on the field. Yeah, I think the the safest, just in a very general sense, without even like looking at the nuances of geography or location or outbreaks, wherever you are, um, just in a generically, you'd want to start later and you'd want to have fewer games and you'd want to give yourself the window of time to proceed into December up and through, you know, that third Saturday of December, I think, or maybe the fourth, whatever it is on the 19th. I think you want that wiggle room, even if it means that there's no New Mexico bowl this year, you know, and there's no, uh, Hulan weed eater bowl. Um, I think you, there are things that are bigger than individual bowl games. I think if you want to pull off the season, um, you need to start late and late because that at least gives you the wiggle room and the flexibility to, if we have a situation like Rutgers has had, put a pause on things for 10 or 14 days and then revisit. Yeah. The bowl system argument or discussion, I guess is going to be really interesting, but it's, it's kind of way on the back burner. I mean, obviously these bowls are very worried about what's going to happen, but I think for the schools, it's kind of the last thing on their minds right now. It's like, let's get to the season. Let's see if we can play. And then we'll worry about that later. I, I don't know about the whole idea of once the regular season ends, keeping kids on campus or trying to travel to a neutral site to play games where, frankly, probably not a lot of fans are going to be able to show up even under the best-case scenario. So that, that's probably a discussion for another day. Um, obviously, the playoff, there's a huge financial imperative to try to play some type of playoff. But what's interesting about what we're seeing now, back in March – when I had first heard about this idea, well, maybe we should just push everything to spring. Let's start the season in February. We, we can do a spring schedule. The interesting thing about that is a lot of the folks around college football said, well, one of the effects of that will be that all the star players will opt out. They will not play a spring season because they're going to want to get ready for the NFL draft. Why risk it? Why put your body through that? Well, come to find out, I mean, that may be what we're up for anyway, because we've already seen, you know, Rashad Bateman, Minnesota, Caleb Farley, Virginia Tech, Micah Parsons, Penn State, big stars, likely first round picks are not going to play. I mean, we may see some guys who, who do play. I think Justin Fields from Ohio State was quoted as saying that he is not considered opting out, but I think there's going to be more guys who are projected first, second round picks who, who decide that it's just not worth it, you know, for them. How, how widespread do you think it's going to be? Yeah. And not as widespread as it would be in the spring, but um, you have to uh, consider the point of view of a Micah Parsons or Rashad Bateman. When, when you think about, you know, 
I'm competing in, in adverse circumstances. I have nothing to gain from a financial perspective. I will miss my teammates and I'm grateful for the opportunity, but you know, you obviously understand where they're coming from. However, in the spring, it's, it's if you play in the spring, it's a totally different story because that's not just, I don't want to get COVID. That's, I don't think that I can physically do this. And I've heard coaches say the same thing. I mean, if you play from January till May, you're then going to come back in August and start again the following season, no. I mean, whether it's the NFL or college. I mean, it, that's not workable. Look, if there's a spring season, then you'd have to make some allowances uh, and it would affect 2021. I mean, my view of it is maybe if you did a spring season, you could play eight games and then maybe come back in the fall of 2021 and your season then is eight games, probably starting mid-October, you know, something like that. Like, that's what it would look like. Right. But nonetheless, you would see players – and look, let's just stick to the fall. Will you see good players decide not to play? Yeah, and – it makes sense. You know, you have nothing to gain if you're a first round pick to play this season. You have an opportunity to take that next step in your career. Um, well, it's players the, aren't beholden to anything. They should go ahead and make that decision. Well, what's funny about it is, like, I remember years ago, the first player that this came up for was uh, Jadavion Clowney. I mean, you heard the steady drumbeat of people leading up to his junior year at South Carolina saying, you should just sit out. Why are you playing? Why are you playing? And none of that ever really came to fruition. Like you never had real momentum of guys just taking a pass on their junior year. Uh, And you can make the argument both ways, but uh, I mean, you heard it with Leonard Fournette. I mean, all these guys who people felt like were lock, you know, top five picks, but now it's actually happening. It took COVID to make that happen. And I just sort of wonder, like, as we eventually get into a post-COVID world, whether the precedent has been set and that will be more of a thing. Yeah, that's a really great question. I hadn't thought of it. I was thinking from the 2020 perspective from an NFL team, they're seeing their own current players take this step for, for health reasons. So I don't know if there's going to be that stigma applied to it. Look, I, I'm sure some dumb team like the like the Giants or whatever won't draft Parsons and leak some sort of anonymous quote about how he doesn't love football or his teammates, and then he'll have a 10-year you know Pro Bowl career. But yeah, I, I don't know if 2020 that stigma exists. It's really fascinating to think about whether this is the start of a trend because, like you said, in the last six or seven years, maybe a little bit longer, this has been a topic. It's been a dumb topic that is kind of like a springtime get clicks idea, but it's been a topic of conversation. Um, even last year, I think Lawrence faced questions around December and January about, hey, do you even need to come back next year? So um, it, it could feed into a larger um, kind of seismic change about how we look at this three years from high school rule in terms of entering the NFL draft. So meanwhile, on the topic of players, you've had over the last several days – some other players opting out just just simply for safety reasons. They don't feel like it's in their best interest to play or it's too risky to play with everything that's going on. Uh, you've had a group of Pac-12 players come out and, and make some demands, uh, some of which I think maybe would be considered unrealistic or just unworkable. Some you know, regarding health insurance and safety protocols that I think, frankly, are, are smart and probably should be adopted. You've had SEC players uh, recording a phone call with some SEC officials and leaking it to the Washington Post. 
Uh, you've had uh, anonymous players uh, who went to the Colorado and ESPN talking about lax safety protocols at Colorado State and alleging that um, they were perhaps discouraged from reporting symptoms or getting tested. Uh, just anecdotally, uh, you know, you hear stuff that is all over the board on, you know, are schools really testing the way they say they are? Are the numbers really what they're reported to be? Uh, are there coaches who maybe don't take this all that seriously? They uh, think it's, I don't want to say a hoax, but they're more of the, this is just the flu camp and guys will get over it because they're young and healthy. Um, but, you know, you've had a freshman offensive lineman at Indiana whose mother made a uh, Facebook post that went viral that talked about you know, he had a really tough time with the virus. You had, you've had players, you know, a player at LSU said he dropped 25 pounds, uh, you know, defensive end because he had the virus and it, it was really tough on him. And so you're starting to see uh, more and more players who, you know, have had experience with it, had bad experience with COVID-19 more other players who are, you know, wary of it. And, and some players who are just frankly concerned about just the way their schools are dealing with it and whether or not the safety protocols are good enough. And, you know, I think that's as big of a threat to the season as anything because I predict that over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see more and more players blowing the whistle on stuff because I think, I think there is a lot of fear out there among the players about what they're signing up for. Yeah, I think we need to listen to the players because they're the ones who are participating in this. Um, obviously, coaches are sharing the same facilities. But they're not undergoing the same interactions with players, the same workouts, the same closeness with your teammates. So we need to listen to the players. And, and I do think that amid a larger conversation about not just the name and likeness and, and player rights, but about you know social justice issues and, and, and topics of a national debate, um, you're seeing players, um, certainly in certain instances like in Colorado State and elsewhere, coalesce around the idea that we have power. I think that's been like something that's not necessarily a new idea, but still to, to vocalize it, verbalize it. Um, it's a, that's a sea change, I think in terms of how student athletes, um, enter the conversation. Like if student athletes in the PAC 12, for instance, or in another conference just said, Hey, we're not playing and not all of them, but maybe, you know, a couple hundred, what does that do for the season? Um, so yeah, I think if players are feeling like they're in danger, I think there's more of a, of a likelihood to speak up in 2020 than at any point in the past. And that's not just because of what's going on in the world, but maybe just because of, you know, what kids are like now, 18 to 22 years old in 2020 compared to what they were like and, and what they were able or willing to accept in 1990 or 1980. Yeah, and you just can't avoid that there's this tension with schools and athletic directors who feel like there's a lot of pressure to play a season. And it's financial pressure. Uh, there was an email that went out to members of IPTE, which is Clemson's fundraising arm, that basically said, hey, listen, if you can afford it, please leave your donations with us. Don't withdraw your donations because if, you, if a bunch of people do, we're going to be unable to meet certain obligations that, that, that they're facing. And uh, you saw today uh, Wisconsin said could be a revenue shortfall in excess of $100 million. And you know, if there's limited capacity at, at home games, then maybe 60 to $70 million. 
you know, revenue shortfall. And a lot of these schools, you know, they, they spend a lot of money on salaries. The salaries have gotten out of control on facilities. They've taken on huge debt obligations to, to build some of these facilities, which is really all about recruiting and the arms race there. Um, they're spending lavishly on, on sports that don't make money. I think we're heading toward one of the biggest resets in just the way college sports gets done uh, that we've ever seen. So, um, man, it's going to be really interesting next next few weeks, few months. Yeah, seriously. I mean, I'm trying to think of another example. I mean, obviously, early 80s, the TV boom was was significant. Yeah, the NCAA split. Um, you've, I think the change of the postseason format was, was a big marker in the history of college football. But, um, you know, college football is a business. Like we like to think of it as some parochial, like we're 14 again, watching CBS at three thirty in the afternoon, you know, in front of the, with our legs crossed in front of the TV, it's a business. And like any business in this environment, uh, unless you're built for the long haul and you've been very careful and prepared for the inevitable, um, or what you rather the unpredictable, um, you're going to have issues. And as a business, college football is, is not doing well, because like you said, teams have taken on money um, and not just taken on, but they've spent lavishly, on, uh, on coaches and elsewhere, and it's kind of coming home to roost at this point. All right, well, I think that's where we'll leave it for this week's edition of the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast. We will be here every week during the season to talk about the poll, and we will certainly update with the news as it happens as often as we can. And so if you like the podcast, just click that subscribe button, give us a five-star review. It would really help us get the word out, and tell your friends about the podcast because we are going to be the first every single week with the Amway Coaches Poll. For Paul Meyerberg, I'm Dan Wolken. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Hi, I'm Nick, XS Brand Ambassador. Coffee is the original energy drink because caffeine stimulates the central nervous system to reduce fatigue and boost energy. Athletes use coffee to enhance athletic performance. Research has shown that coffee can improve endurance. I use XS Cafe Mocha because the formula is real coffee, real milk and real cacao. The energy boost I get is from 80 milligrams of natural caffeine, just like coffee. Plus, there are more B vitamins and less sugar than other ready-to-drink coffees on the market. Athletes will always reach for a coffee before a workout, but smart athletes will reach for an excess cafe mocha to get that extra boost of B vitamins. For more information, go to amway.com and search cafe mocha excess energy drinks and sports nutrition exclusively from Amway.